thank you so much for joining us here today on the Fearless Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and today my special guest is Dr. Heather Stone, and we are going to talk all about how the whole model around eat less, move more does not work when we're looking at weight loss and why it is such a struggle for so many people to lose weight. And there's actually more of an underlying cause to that. There's been no research supporting the eat less, move more movement other than in animal studies. We are also going to talk about metabolic syndrome and how that can progress to full-blown diabetes, how diabetes is more complicated than just being put on drugs like metformin, Um, that could eventually progress to something harder like insulin as the disease process progresses and how to stop that and not necessarily using an allopathic approach to diabetes, you know, in the nutritional world of just using herbs to lower blood sugar, that the the problem is actually a little bit more complicated than that overall. So Dr. Heather Stone has one of the most successful functional medicine practices, and she has built the largest single office cash practice in the history of functional medicine. But this has allowed her to help tens of thousands of chronically ill patients return to health and escape a broken destructive healthcare system. She is a steadfast supporter of functional medicine and getting to the root cause of the disease. She's a fierce advocate for healthcare freedom and works tirelessly to overcome the dysfunction in mainstream healthcare. She has also been a healthcare warrior in regulatory, legislative, and at a legal Mm -hmm. level. Through coaching and mentoring other functional medicine providers, her expertise and wisdom has been used to train hundreds of functional medicine providers in what she calls the functional medicine success formula. She believes that functional medicine should be fun, successful, and most of all, impactful. Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Thank you, Dr. Heather Stone, for being here today. I'm super excited to have you, and I am just looking forward about digging into blood sugar a little bit today. That's awesome. I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, you found a passion for functional medicine. You got into this because of some of your own struggles and also are treating cases because of some of the things that you've been through. Could you talk a little bit about what got you into treating, you know, blood sugar as well as diabetes in functional medicine? Yeah, absolutely. So um, quite a while ago, now it's like 20 years ago, um, I was really struggling with my health. Um, At the time, I was trying to decide which part of medicine I was going to go into. And I really struggled with weight. I was about 50 pounds heavier than I am today. And, you know, for me, it was like, what is going on? I was exercising. I've tried and done every diet known to man. And it wasn't about me like having the willpower or sticking with the diet. I just didn't know what kind of diet that I should be doing. And that was the time of the fat-free stuff. So it would be like, oh, I'm doing everything fat-free. I don't even eat a single ounce of fat. How come I'm so fat? So 
I would go to doctor after doctor. They'd be like, you're healthy. We don't know what's going on with you. You know, you just need to lose weight and keep exercising. And so for me, that wasn't going to be a good answer. I was not willing to live my life through the rest of my life like that. So, you know, I was thinking about being a dentist and I'm like, oh dear, that's definitely not what I want to do. And I knew that I did not want to be a traditional medical doctor. So on the path to me figuring out, okay, why am I overweight? What is creating this issue in me? And once I figured that out, I'm like, holy cow, there are millions of people out there that really suffer from the same issues that I suffer with. And they suffer for years and years, if not their whole life. So that's what really led me down to or down the functional medicine path. I was probably doing functional medicine before they ever coined the term functional medicine. Um, So for me, it was about really understanding what the underlying cause was. Um, Once you address that, then the body can actually heal and start to function and the weight comes off, the energy comes up, your brain starts functioning properly. Um, It took me about a year to lose 50 pounds. And I was even told at one point that I would never have kids. So that also was not an option. (laughs) So once I lost the weight, I was able to have two, you know, healthy, great babies, which are now 16 and 14. Holy cow. And um, I really haven't had a weight issue since, but it's always because I'm constantly looking at my blood work. I'm looking at my labs to make sure that everything is functioning optimally. Yeah. And I, your story is like a story I think that you must hear all the time. I mean, I hear that story a lot. And I think that the, the common thing that comes out in that story is, okay, well, I'm eating and they come in and they're like, I'm eating 1500 calories. I'm eating 1200 calories. I'm eating 900 calories per day and I'm exercising. I'm doing this and I still can't lose weight and nothing on the scale is changing. And so how much do you hear that story? And you and I both know calories in calories out is not like the measure or the barometer of like why these people may, may or may not be losing weight. So what would you, what do you say to that story? Cause I'm sure that you hear that over and over and over again. I probably must hear that, um, several times every single day. And I think that's the, the place that we fall into. It's like how many, cal- how little calories can we possibly be eating? And I've seen people, you know, eating like 500 calories a day and they're exercising themselves to death and it's just not going anywhere. And it doesn't help that, you know, at one point there was an article that came out by the diabetic association and the head like executive director was saying, you know, it doesn't matter um, what you eat. All that we need to focus on is the calories. And so if you think about that for one second, that first of all, that's maddening because we all look to those resources as truth and we need help in this area and we get a lot of misinformation. But you know, if you think about it, 500 calories, you could eat 500 calories in chocolate chip cookies, or you could eat 500 calories in chicken and vegetables. And the way that that is metabolized in our bodies is completely different. And one will make you gain weight and feel terrible and have low energy. The other one could be really great for you for the most part. But I will tell you that losing weight is much more complicated than just what we eat. It's 
how we eat, like which foods do we eat? How much of it do we eat? How is our body processing it? You know, how are our adrenal glands functioning? How is our bodies handling and managing stress? One of the craziest things when I was going through my journey, but the journey that my patients go through as well, is that when you get diagnosed with diabetes, the first thing that you're told is that you have to lose weight and exercise, which in most patients' minds is to decrease your calories and increase your activity. And most of these diabetic patients are not even healthy enough to exercise because the more exercise they do, the more stress they're putting on their bodies and at a very foundational level, they actually can't manage the stress that they're under anyway. So they're adding more stress, they're producing more cortisol, blood sugar is going up and they feel like they're on this vicious cycle. But the cool thing I do with most of my patients is I have them completely stop exercising in the beginning. And we start working on all these underlying foundational things. And then we slowly start implementing exercise that's appropriate for them. I have a story. I have a patient. He is a diabetic and he was on tons of insulin, like a gajillion medications. His blood sugar was out of control. I think his A1C was like an 11 when he first started with me. And he's a strength trainer and he exercises like crazy. And so what I said is I'm like, okay, you're not going to like me, but I am going to have you cut cardio out for the first month. So he's like, what? I don't know how to do that. I'm like, just, you can lift weights, but not crazy. And I want you to take rest periods, but no cardio. And then the second month I'm like, okay, we're going to implement some cardio, but we need to do it so that your heart rate isn't going crazy. And we're going to do slow. And it's going to feel like you're not doing anything at all, but just trust me. And um, I just talked to him last week and he's off all of his meds. He's dropped like 30 pounds. Um, his, a, his blood sugar is under a hundred fasting. He's like, I cannot believe this. This is just the craziest thing ever. So the key to weight loss is not just continuing to decrease the amount of calories that we're eating, because at some point for most of us females, we're fine decreasing calories. (laughs) And it actually is, is a lot of times very detrimental because your body doesn't have the building blocks to build muscle and, and actually repair Um, But it can be much more complicated for weight loss to understand what to eat, how much of it to eat, how much exercise should you be doing, if you should even exercise at all. And then a lot of times weight gain is inflammation. So it's not really about what we're eating. It's about, well, what do we have inflammation as where is this coming from? Is it the foods we're eating? Is it underlying infections that are going on? So you really have to understand and look at weight differently. Weight is just a symptom that our bodies give us to tell us that something is out of balance or something is wrong. And so when we are told just to go lose weight, that's like telling somebody, just go lose your headache, right? Like it doesn't really make sense it feels like it makes sense with weight because that's how we've been programmed and indoctrinated. And, you know, that's how we've been raised to think, but weight is really just a symptom of underlying imbalances going on. Just as you have high blood pressure, high blood sugar, it's the same symptom. You just have to figure out why it's there and address it from that way. Mm -hmm. Well said. I mean, just suddenly go and lose your headache because it's not that easy and it doesn't work that way. And I think that if it, 
Okay. So just like to back up, you know, for example, there are doctors, MDs, they're very, very intelligent people. And a lot of times you'll look at some of these folks and you'll see them be overweight. It's not because they don't have the discipline. It's not because they're not smart. It's because what we have been told for so long doesn't work. It's like crazy. It just reducing calories, exercising more. Those were done in like rat models. Those were primarily rat models and demonstrate that was, that was not done on humans. And they found that repeatedly did not work. So, I mean, that is just not the way to do it. So when somebody comes in, um, you know, first I want to back up because you had a great example of, um, your patient that was on all the meds. So, Someone goes into their primary care's office. They they get their lab work run. They have elevated blood sugar. They may be in diabetic range or they're in like basically metabolic syndrome or insulin resistance. Um, they're basically, if they're in metabolic syndrome, right, they're told, you know, have a nice day. You should exercise more. You should lose weight. If they're full-blown diabetes, diabetic, um, they are given medications and then they are just completely sent out of the office, no additional guidance, no additional counseling, et cetera. Is that what you see with the progression and what meds are these people generally put on? Yeah. So typically what happens is a patient goes into their doctor's office and it's just a, usually a routine office visit. So whether it's their yearly physical or they're getting an exam for life insurance or health insurance or whatever, they go in, they get blood work done. And then, you know, a week goes by, their doctor calls them, you got to come in. And of course you're like, oh, something must be wrong. I'm going to go back in. So you go back in and you know, before the doctor can even say you have type two diabetes, the the prescription is being written typically for metformin. That's where that starts off. But not only metformin, and this is really important to understand, it's that once you get put into this diagnosis, you get put in this box. And what happens is metformin comes first, but also you get a statin drug for high cholesterol. You get a blood pressure drug for high blood pressure. And interestingly, you get those drugs, even if you don't have high cholesterol and high blood pressure, because it is preventative. They know that as diabetes progresses, because diabetes always progresses when you're on these types of drugs, because the drugs are not meant to reverse the condition, the drugs are meant to slow down the progression. So if you go down this this path, diabetes always progresses and they know that. So they know you're going to end up with high cholesterol. They know you're going to have high blood pressure. They also tell you that they're going to put you on that blood pressure med to protect the kidneys because all of, not only is your high blood sugar um, hurtful to the kidneys, but also all of these medications put a lot of strain on the kidneys. So they want to protect the kidneys as you move through um, this disease process. And they tell you, you need to go lose weight and exercise. And, and essentially that's it. And, you know, most of these diabetics are like, okay, I got this. I'm going to go, there's got to be a way that I can handle this. So nowadays, well, 20 years ago, when I started this, we did not really have Dr. Google, but now we've got Dr. Google and we can go online and we say, okay, Dr. Google, how is a diabetic supposed to eat? And this is where we get our counseling for how we're supposed to be eating. And there is like, 
20 years ago, there was a lack of access to information. Now there is a sea of information and it is very difficult to sift through and understand, well, how really should you be eating with this disease process? Because you'll get information that even from, you know, sources that are supposed to be highly regarded that you're supposed to decrease your calories and increase your exercise then you now have access to paleo, you got keto, you got all you got Mediterranean, you have all of these different options of how you're supposed to be eat if you have diabetes, but it's like, well, which one do you choose? And I will tell you that if there was one diabetic diet out there, I would be sitting on a beach. <laughs> but there is not one diabetic out there because every single individual person is unique in the way that they process their foods and how their body um, handles different foods and the response that they get. So essentially, back to your question, yes, they get on all of those medications. There's very little to no um, guidance on how they should be eating or how they should exercise. And then what happens is they say, come back and see me in three months. And so these patients are working really hard and they're like, okay, at least I know I'm not supposed to eat sugar, <laughs> right? Like, I think we can all agree that at most hard, and then they come back they get their blood test done. And almost always the blood sugar is the same or maybe even a little worse. So this starts the um, cycle of frustration. And I know a lot of practitioners, they get really frustrated with diabetic patients because they it seems like diabetic patients aren't willing to change their diet or stick with lifestyle changes that would really help them. But you have to understand where they come from. It's like you get on this one drug after another in hopes and promises that your blood sugar is going to go down and you're starving yourself and you're working out like crazy, but you're not getting anywhere. And so that's when they're like, well, why I have patients say, well, I eat McDonald's and the next day my blood sugar is like lower than if I was to eat completely healthy, no carbs and no sugar. So in the patient's mind, because they don't understand what's going on underneath the surface it is a waste of time, energy, and emotion to try to figure out this diet thing. Why would they just not eat what they wanted to eat? Because their blood sugar is not going anywhere. Well said. And so we've got a patient that has decided that they're on metformin, they're on statins, they're on blood pressure, blood pressure lowering drugs. Okay. And so they're not giving any, any counseling. And so does, does that kind of give them a license to eat however they want? Does it just, you know, having that prescription, especially of metformin, um, because I have heard that a couple of times, well, I'm on metformin, it's fine, it takes care of it. This is going to lower my blood sugar for me so I can have X, Y, and Z. Have you heard that? <laughs> I have heard that. And, you know, unfortunately, that's just misinformation or misguidance. You know, I think it's important that as practitioners, you educate patients on, you know, what they're supposed to do going forward. But in the traditional medical model, that is the kind of the attitude, right? Like I can, I don't need to worry about what I'm eating. I'm just going to take these drugs. And it doesn't help that if you have type one diabetes, right? Let, this is an autoimmune condition, type one, usually diagnosed early on. The, the um, guidance with a type one diabetic is just that. 
You don't worry about changing your diet. You just change your insulin um, based on what you ate. You calculate the carbs and then you calculate your insulin levels with complete disregard for diet, disregard for the body's going to become insulin resistant. So you have a type one and two combo on your hands. But I think that is just misguided. I don't see that a lot in my practice because I'm very particular about the patients that we accept into the practice. And so they have to have a different mindset. Most patients may have that mindset in the beginning when they just get put on metformin, they feel like it's not that big of a deal. They're just recently diagnosed, but as the disease progresses and they see this, okay, it's metformin. Now it's glipizide or glibiride. And then it's, you know, Genuvia and then it's Ozempic and then it's Trulicity. And now it's, you know, insulin, the further progressed a patient gets, the more serious this disease process becomes. And then they know that that's not going to be the answer. So usually you'll hear that from somebody who has no symptoms. They don't understand the disease of diabetes um, and and they don't think that they're going to get worse. But as that progresses, you see less and less and less of that. Now, one of the the dangers of diabetes is that it's been coined the term silent. It's the silent killer because you don't have a lot of symptoms, especially early on. You can't really feel when your blood sugar is at 120, 130, 140. You just think, well, I'm overweight, you know, and mostly there's really not any other symptoms. I've even had patients that come in and they're so sick and they're on tons of med. They're like, no, I'm totally healthy. I just have type two diabetes, but that's, that's not even possible to be healthy and have type two diabetes. And what I think is really important for patients maybe who have just been diagnosed or maybe they're just on metformin. What's important for them to know is that this is a multi-system, multi-organ disease process. And there are seven main organs that help the body balance blood sugar. And there's no way for you to have an imbalance in your blood sugar unless you have multiple imbalance in multiple organs. So just because you don't have symptoms, again, this is how we've been indoctrinated that we don't think anything's wrong unless we have a major symptom, like we can't get through the day. But just having diabetes itself is a major issue. And the organ systems are starting to fail on the inside, or I shouldn't say fail, they are starting to dysfunction to a degree that your body can't even do the most basic function in life, which is to balance your blood sugar. And the, the can you talk about where eventually the disease pathology goes when it gets very, very dangerous? Yeah, this is also very important. And I'm glad you asked this question because, you know, this is very uncomfortable for me to talk about because I'm usually like, I'm super positive and we got this, we're going down this path and we're going to get better. And I think it's probably uncomfortable for most practitioners to talk about. But when a patient gets diagnosed with diabetes, we're not really told about the complications or the road ahead. It's like, oh, you have, you're now diabetic here, take this metformin, go lose weight and exercise. And it's not really that big of a deal. But really, it is a big deal. And I think if people were educated on the actual complications of diabetes, we would take it more serious in the beginning. Like 
Dr. Varder, you and I know if I was diagnosed with diabetes or my A1C was even getting close, I would be freaking out because, because I know the, the complications that must be going on inside. So let's just talk about some of those complications. Like at the end of the road, you have blindness, you have amputations, you have um, kidney failure, you, um, you have neuropathy, it's really hard for you to walk, your immune system goes down. And interestingly enough, now that we're in this time period and we're in the middle of a pandemic, I think still, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we're still in the middle of it, but I think it's been brought to life or, or to the front that having diabetes actually is putting us in a higher risk for developing these viruses because our immune systems get suppressed. Um, our organ systems are not working properly, so it puts us in a more, more vulnerable position to develop these other uh, disease processes and illnesses. So <clears throat> it's interesting. My practice has been exploding since the pandemic because I think more and more diabetics are like, holy cow, because people are getting COVID who barely even, when I say barely even had diabetes, like they were just maybe on metformin and glipizide. It wasn't like it was crazy out of control. But the way that the body is working, it's just making that virus more virulent in these people. But it is important to really understand the complications. And I'll tell you, most people don't know the complications unless they've seen a family member or somebody that they were really close to go through it. So it's important to to not be the person that thinks that's just not going to happen to me because it's crazy when I see patients sitting in front of me and they say, I thought it wasn't going to happen to me. And they're sitting there with, you know, missing toes and they can barely see, you know, I've had patients come in that have had a kidney transplant and a liver transplant. And at that point I can't help them because my job is to create balance in the body and you have to create imbalance in those individuals in order to keep them alive with their transplants. So, you know, and it's also crazy to see patients working their whole life, right? We work our whole life in America until it's time to retire and we don't take care of our health the whole time. We're stressed. We're just trying to get through this, this working year so that we can retire. And so many patients are so sick. All they can do is sit in front of the TV and they go to doctor's visits all day long. Like that's what their retirement is like. Um, so to really take this disease process seriously from the very beginning and even before um, if you have those warning signs. Yeah, I think that is such an important point. And I, I, I think one of the things that you said that is really important to note is most of the time people don't, especially at the early portion of the disease, they don't have symptoms. And I've said over and over again, and people um, have commented back to me when they've heard me speak before, but I I am, am, am not a huge drinker. And the reason for that is one night I went out to dinner with friends and I had a glass and a half of wine and I woke up the next day and my blood sugar was 200. 12 hours later, my blood sugar was 200 points because of like my body could just not handle the sugar from that wine. And, you know, I ate protein and vegetables for dinner, like pretty standard 
And that scared the snot out of me. And by the way, I had no symptoms. I was getting ready for a run. And that's terrifying, like that there were no other problems associated with that. Like there were other things going on inside my body that would allow that to spike. But the other thing is the same thing happened. I had a cookie. I had a half a, I had like a cookie. It was, it was large. It was large. <laughs> it was larger. Anyway, same thing. Woke up 198 points with, you know, with my glucose the next day, 12 hours later, again, no symptoms like you wouldn't have known. But I think that when people actually will get a glucometer and start to check and start to check like, oh, this cookie doesn't mean anything or, oh yeah, I had, you know, a couple glasses of wine and it's no big deal. You start to see these things really add up. And do you see that? Like just people are not aware of what these types of foods are doing in their body? Absolutely. And I think it's because of what we talked about earlier. We think of in America, almost like, especially if you're trying to lose weight, food is the enemy, right? So we're always trying to decrease the amount of food that we eat to a point of, you know, not being uh, nourished in our bodies. But we also go through these these swings of decreasing calories, but then we binge, right? So we'll have a cookie, we'll have a glass of wine, we'll have ice cream, we'll go to McDonald's, we'll kind of pig out and we'll be like, okay, we're starting tomorrow. But in our heads, we associate food with weight. We don't really think about what is happening inside my body when I'm eating this food. So a lot of times, most of the time, almost with every patient, especially my female patients, we have to change the relationship we have with food. So we have to look at the food of how is this going to help my body? So is this not, not, is it going to make me gain weight? (laughs) Not, is it going to make me lose weight? But is this going to nourish my body in a way that is going to be really supportive? Um, When you start to change your relationship and how you think of food, it's much easier to understand and make better choices. And I, I have this with men as well, but we have to start thinking of food. The reason we eat is to nourish our bodies, to give us health. Uh, In America, we eat for fun. We eat when we're sad. We eat when we're happy. We (laughs) eat like it's this whole emotional roller coaster. And we're not being conscious about the choices that we're making by just thinking, okay, how is this going to affect my blood sugar? How is this going to affect my adrenal glands? How is this going to affect my immune system? But I, but truly, I don't think it's the fault of the patient. I think that we haven't been educated in this way. And so it's a whole like education process and everybody is different. So, you know, if a patient asks me, can I have this food or can I have that food? Typically, what goes through my mind is, I'm not sure. Let's just see how it affects your blood sugar, right? So, you know, if it fits into the dietary guidelines that I usually stick to, like I'll just say cassava flour is one. That cassava is gluten-free. It's typically low glycemic index. Most people can handle it, but some people cannot. So when they ask me if they can have that, I'll say, well, why don't you eat it for like two servings, two days in a row, and let's check your blood sugar and see if we trend, see it trending up. And, you know, for a lot of people, it does trend up. So I say cassava flour is out for you because this is what it does to your body. So it's much easier to understand what we can eat and what we can't eat when we have knowledge um, and that empowers us us to make good decisions. Otherwise, we're just basing it off of emotions, right? Like, oh, I'm really craving sugar right now. I'm going to have this and, you know, I'll lose weight tomorrow. (laughs) And that's why America's obese. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely, yeah, I completely agree with that. And I would say um, one of the things that I have, I have noticed uh, through practice, you know, putting people on, you know, an autoimmune type diet is they bargain for foods to eat. They bargain, or if I hand them a sheet that talks about protein, fruits and vegetables primarily, um, they will bargain with that. And they'll say, you're taking all the joy out of my life. I have no other joy. I have, and it becomes this really, you you feel like you're in the middle of, of a relationship that you do not want to be in the middle of. Like you are like standing like dead in the line of fire and like you are getting into their like only emotional support, which is incredibly sad almost in a way, you know, I like, I like make it kind of tongue in cheek because but it's really challenging that we have gotten to that point where we're so um, so dependent on food. Are you seeing like a pretty strong emotional connection to food? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> it's hard for me too because I feel like I'm the bad guy and I like I want everybody to like and love me. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of difficult for me as a practitioner because I have to work instead of just telling my patients, no, you absolutely can't have that. I mean, certainly it comes to that, but there are many times substitutions. There are things that we can do to work around it so that you don't feel deprived. I felt that's like such a big thing is how can we be creative to put something in its place so that that emotional connection is not necessarily disrupted. But also like if somebody's like, I I just can't give up my glass of wine. Does that mean they're an alcoholic? No, not necessarily, but it's an emotional connection that they're getting because it makes them feel a certain way. But if we can replace that, but also show them what it's doing to their body and, and, and try to re-educate them on anything that we're putting in our mouth, is meant to add to health. It's either getting us closer to health or getting us closer to disease. And so you have to really think about that when you're going to make a choice. And what this is doing is it's it's, it's teaching patients how to be conscious about their food choices, because a lot of times we're unconscious and we just grab things at every whim. And then we negotiate with ourselves that we're going to start tomorrow, or this isn't that bad, or I'll just have a little bit now and you end up eating the whole thing. Um, But it's more of conscious decision-making. And if you're going to make the decision to go further to disease, then you should just make it (laughs) and you shouldn't feel bad about it, but you made the choice. But a lot of times we just eat without making the choice and we eat you know, we just eat until we're totally stuffed, but eating consciously, understanding, am I still full? Am I, am I full? Am I still hungry? What foods am I eating? Just to make it to be something that you're actually choosing and you're not just going off on a whim. The other thing I, I talk about, you know, in my struggle for weight with weight loss, you know, early on, one of the rewards that I would have for losing weight was going to eat bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're like, that makes absolutely zero sense. But but you deprive yourself and you starve yourself. So you're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go have a chocolate chip cookie. But instead of doing that, I replaced it with maybe a different habit. So I would go buy one new piece of clothing, right? I'd go buy a new shirt because I went down a size or I'd go buy a new pair of pants or shoes or whatever. So not that I wanted to get into a spending issue, <laughs> but, um, but just to replace that habit, not reward yourself with food that you're that's pushing you back into a disease state, but what can you do to um, change those habits and reward yourself in a different way? Mm-hmm. There was a really 
crazy study that um, talked about if a mother ate a lot of sugar while pregnant, the child was going to be much more likely to have major sugar cravings and also, you know, have that addiction and also have low dopamine, which, I mean, I think some of this starts so unconsciously, you know, even before that, even before that reward system happened, you know, later on, like, okay, wow, we got A's, yay, ice cream, whatever, TCBY, whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know if they're still around, but whatever it is, you know, like it was a reward with food because I was easy. That was quick. You know, we're all slightly addicted to food and in some regard. And so I, you know, I think that it even starts sooner for sure. But yeah, the interesting thing that I have learned, well, first of all, I learned a long time ago that when mom is pregnant, if her adrenal gland, so I've said that a few times and I don't know if all of the listeners know what the adrenal glands are. There are two small glands that sit on top of the kidneys that help you deal and manage stress. And, and for women, as we move through menopause, they're really key in helping us have balanced hormones. So, but as a mom is pregnant, if her adrenal glands are depleted, then you start living off of the baby's adrenal glands. Right. And so you're getting this, you know, the mom is getting some extra adrenal um, hormones and tissue. And then after the baby is born, the baby's born with depleted adrenal glands and mom's even more depleted. And that's typically where we get the postpartum or at least part of it. So a lot of us are born with depleted adrenal glands from the beginning. So we have less ability to handle stress. And like you said, we get chemical reactions and we have neurotransmitters that are released when we eat these foods and it's almost like that reward center. But the other thing that also contributes to this unconscious way that we eat is our microbiome. Um, So when your microbiome, so all of those good bacteria in your GI tract probably some bad for a lot of us too, but when your microbiome is out of balance and it can become out of balance for having blood sugar issues for, you know, the foods that we're eating, pesticides, environment, there's a lot of reasons for why your microbiome or those bacteria in your gut get out of balance. But those microbiome, they are responsible for your food cravings. So literally we're just walking around like microbes and they are telling us what to eat and what not to eat. And I don't think that we realize that. And the biggest thing for my patients is when we address adrenal dysfunction, when we start getting the microbiome more imbalanced, um, what I find is that almost every patient three or four weeks in, they tell me, Dr. Heather, I cannot believe that I have not had any sugar cravings. They're like, that was my biggest fear because mostly we're trying to just push through willpower to cut the sugar out. But we have physiological imbalances that make us crave it. And that sugar is more addictive than heroin or cocaine, actually maybe just as addictive. But there's other things going on in our bodies that are making us crave foods and it's almost impossible to push through that with willpower. So when you start fixing these underlying imbalances, those sugar cravings start going away. You can heal the adrenal glands, and now you have more control over your choices and decisions about the food that you eat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So 
here's the next. All right. So I'm natural. So I want to be natural. I don't want to take the metformin or the insulin or whatever it is. What do you recommend for blood sugar stabilization? All right. So if you ask somebody in Whole Foods Sprouts, they're going to point you to the direction of blood sugar support. So you're going to go look at that shelf and you're going to find cinnamon, you're going to find chromium, you're going to find um, berberine, you're going to find a whole host of things that in the research have been shown to lower blood sugar. And so typically it's nobody's fault of their own, but we have been trained that when we have high blood sugar, we look for a drug or a nutrient to push down the sugar, right? So essentially you're using nutrition in an allopathic way, but there is no blood sugar support that is going to work to get your blood sugar down consistently and long-term. Um, the reason I'll go back to something that I said earlier is that diabetes is a multi-system, multi-organ disease. And so if we're just trying to push down the blood sugar, like you're going to be missing all the reasons for why you actually have high blood sugar in the first place. Like what if you have this underlying, which most diabetics do, some underlying infection going on underneath the surface that's causing your blood sugar to go up? I mean, think about that. For the diabetics that are listening, if think about what happens to your blood sugar when you get a cold or when you get the flu. Like your blood sugar goes sky high, and I don't care how much berberine, cinnamon, chromium picolinate you're going to down. I don't care how little you're going to eat or how much you're going to exercise. Your blood sugar is still going to be up because that underlying issue is still there. So you know, for my patients, I look at liver function thyroid dysfunction, adrenal dysfunction, hormonal imbalances, um, GI infections or imbalances in the microbiome, uh, what's going on with the immune system, is there an underlying autoimmune issue related here, uh, which I find a lot actually. And so going to a store to take some kind of blood sugar supplement is going to be very limited in any kind of results that you get. And that's actually why a lot of the medications don't work either. That's why the intent of the medication is to slow down the progression of the, the disease and not reverse the disease process because those medications like blood sugar supplements, if that's all you're doing, is just going to dampen that symptom that your body is giving you as a warning sign that something is not right. So you have to look underneath the surface and really understand for each individual person, what is causing the diabetes? Where is the imbalance or imbalances that are going to help this body start to function better and be able to regulate their blood sugar? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, basically the bottom line is there's a lot more going on in the body to allow it to get to that point. Um, it's, you know, in, in it, depending on, I mean, I don't know about you, but I think in every single case that I have seen, there has been adrenal dysfunction. I have never run a Dutch test or, or Dutch test or, you know, some adrenal function test, whatever it is that somebody was like, yeah, no, those are really, those are really good adrenals. That's great. Like that's perfect on the first shot. Like when you first see somebody, I've actually never seen that. I don't know if you have, but I would be I would I would be super impressed. <laughs> I don't know if it's even possible 
to have diabetes and normal adrenal function because the adrenal glands are directly related and helping to balance the blood sugar with, with cortisol and insulin. So I don't know if I've ever seen a patient who had a normal adrenal panel who had diabetes. And actually, you know, there's, there's so, because it's such a wide, like the disease that affects so many things, I think most patients are appalled at what's really going on underneath the surface. But the problem is, is that typically when they go into a traditional medical doctor's office, they get like a CBC, maybe they get a Kim panel, maybe, and they get their cholesterol done, which you know, you're on a statin, so they're just making sure your cholesterol's artificially down. You get the, the chem panel, they're checking for your glucose, are your kidneys about to quit, and how's your liver? And they'll do an A1C and they'll make sure you don't have a, a major like acute infection. So the level of testing, it makes them feel like everything is fine. They just have diabetes. But as a functional medicine practitioner, we know that that's definitely not even possible. So you know, most people have just been told this over and over and over, like, oh, everything looks fine. You know, you just got to get that A1C down. So we're going to keep adding medication, but everything else is fine. But when you actually do a full blood panel and you actually evaluate these numbers, not just in a disease model, right? So if they're not falling outside of the lab range in traditional medicine, it's everything is just fine. But for functional medicine practitioners, we're looking for optimal ranges, like where is the dysfunction that's causing the disease? Because we're not interested in necessarily naming diseases and matching up the medications that go with the disease, we're more interested in what is causing this disease process to happen and what do we need to do to help the body heal. So full blood work, full saliva testing. I do stool testing. I do other testing when it's indicated for a patient because I'm like, um, you know, an investigator. That's I'm not necessarily, I'm a doctor, of course, but my job is more of in search of the problem, in search of all the different imbalances. And then what do we need to do to fix that? Yeah. And I think that really, I mean, I think people need to be prepared when they've gotten into this level of a disease process that they need to like really go searching for what the root cause is just besides putting band-aids and allowing this condition to worsen. I mean, I would just be throwing down if I thought I had diabetes. I mean, the, the day that my blood sugar, when I had the large cookie was like off the charts, I, I was terrified. Like my heart stopped, you know, cause you think about where that goes and I'm like, am I predisposed? This is terrifying. Right. So, I mean, I, I think that you're right. I think in the medical world, it has been downplayed even metabolic syndrome, which is so much easier to fix. So much easier to fix. You haven't you have a um, hemoglobin A1C of 5.7, right? You're talking about hemoglobin A1Cs of, I don't even know what, <laughs> in some of these cases, you know, but that, I mean, it's so much easier to reverse, but all MDs are downplaying that metabolic syndrome because there's not no diagnosis to go with the drug. And so there's no treatment options, right? 
Yeah, I think, you know, I see patients that are like the worst of the worst. Like I told you, like A1Cs where it can't even be measured because it's over 17 and patients that have had, you know, liver transplants and kidney transplants and they're on dialysis. And I'm like, whoa, this is like 10 years way too late. Like there's nothing I'm going to do right now that's going to help you. And I do get some people that are right on the verge of that. I've had a patient who was literally on 300 units of insulin a day. He was over 350 pounds when he started. He had a quintuple bypass surgery and his doctors were like, we don't know what's going on with you. We don't know how to help you just keep increasing your insulin until your blood sugars come down. I'm like, when does that stop? Like, that's just insanity. But for him, he was able to get off of all of his meds, which was just for me, sometimes I'm still mind blown at how amazing the body can heal itself. And he, at the end of his program, he was on like 500 milligrams of metformin. I'm like, Dwayne, why are you still on metformin? Because his A1C was normal. He's like, I'm just scared that my blood sugar is going to go up again. Stay on your metformin. <laughs> cardiologist was taking him off all of his medications. He was off of his blood thinners. He was just a completely different person. So I get those people like right before they are about to fall off the edge. Um, But those people are harder to treat than somebody who, you know, I get so excited. Last night I accepted a patient. Actually, it was a son of a patient because his dad had severe diabetes and now he's non-diabetic. He lost like I don't know, 45 pounds or something, but his son, his A1C was a 5.7 and many of the other markers were showing signs of insulin resistance and he needs to lose about 40 pounds and he had all kinds of digestive issues. This kid is only 28 years old. And so for me to see that in my office, I'm like, oh my God, I think I'm making some kind of impact here because for him, you know, his treatment plan is not going to be a year long. His treatment plan may just be four months because there's just a few things that we need to work with on the body. I need to set him straight with um, what he needs to be eating. And then I think he's going to be good to go. And the impact that that makes for him and his future is just awesome. Yeah. Are there... Any um, pieces of advice you want to leave the listeners with today? Well, I think, first of all, um, if you have type 2 diabetes, don't give up because most of my patients have given up before they come to me because all the things that they have been um, trying and truly trying and getting really putting their heart into it and they have had so many failures, they start giving up. But What I want to say is that there is hope because absolutely without a doubt, type two diabetes is reversible, but you just have to know which obstacles to move in in the body and what imbalances to fix so that the body can actually heal and reverse this disease process. I would say, I would say that's probably the biggest thing is not to lose hope because I see people reverse diabetes every single day. Well, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Um, So they can find me at my... Or they can call the office. Our phone number is 303-353-9774. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Heather Stone, for being with us today and like sharing this great knowledge, giving people hope because... That's really, really important in this disease process. So thank you so much for being here. 
Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.